The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. If you're visiting and you're new with us, uh, we're continuing our series. Um, If you can just go back to the start. Uh, We're continuing our series entitled A New Beginning. It's a new year and we want to start the year off well. And it's a new season for us as a church. Uh, It's our 40th year and that's a significant spiritual marker. 40 years throughout the Bible. It's such a powerful, significant marker. And so we want to step into this new season intentionally, prayerfully, uh, in faith, and really believe and and press into God for the inheritance He has for us. And so uh, we've been journeying on this theme of a new beginning, and uh, Lewis kicked us off two weeks ago and looked at some of the, uh, the key principles of what we need to be thinking about as we step into a new beginning, and that is to, to love and obey the written and the living word, Jesus Christ, to take risks for God, to step out, to believe God for things that we might not have believed God for before, or to really step out with the promptings of the Spirit and do things we might have never done before. And he talked about the importance of leaving a legacy, not of material things and houses and buildings and land, but a spiritual legacy for the next generation. And then last week, uh, Andrew kind of built on that and talked about even though we have this inheritance and God leads us into the promised land, there are walled cities, there are battles that we need to fight. But we need to remember that we're fighting from victory. We're fighting from the finished work of Christ on the cross. Uh, We're on the winning side and we need to remember that. And again, he reminded us of the role of faith and of trusting God and surrendering to God in the midst of those battles. And then he said, we we really need to be careful that we give glory to God and and never take any of the glory for ourselves because it's God that fights the battles. It's God that gives the victory and all the glory and praise goes to him. So this week we come to a really long section and so I'm not going to go through it in detail. Chapters 13 to 22 and this part of Joshua deals with the division of the land. They've, they've gone in, they've conquered Jericho, they had a, a bit of a kind of a flap with AI, they, they got some things wrong and God has to kind of rebuke them for taking glory, taking things for themselves. But then they kind of deal with that and, and God brings the victory and then they had another kind of hiccup with the Gibeonites who kind of deceived them and tricked them um, and again God has to come come through and says, okay, well, we're going to work with this now. It's not really what I planned, but let's go with this. And then we come now where the nation comes together and they're being allotted their lands. So much of the content here in these passages is the hard stuff that most of us skip when we come to reading our Bibles. Let's be honest. We kind of go, oh, division of the land. We'll skip that. And rightly so, because those boundaries and those towns, they, they don't mean anything to us, but they meant something significant and powerful to Israel. It meant that God had been faithful to his promises. And that's why at the end, Joshua can say, every word of the Lord to us has been fulfilled. That's why the detail is there. And so, you know, when, when I read these passages, it reminds me a little bit of kind of chocolate cake. And I know Dar showed a picture of chocolate cake one time when she preached and got such a good response. I thought I'll show you another one. But the reason is that when we were talking about division, it reminded me of when the kids were little. And maybe as a parent, you've identified with this. Or maybe as a kid, even as an adult, you would know this experience. When there's a beautiful chocolate cake or there's something to eat. And when it has to be divided up among many. 
Everyone is so particular about making sure all the pieces line up and they're all the same. You know, we still do that when it comes to when we have special drinks in our house. I have to pour and I've got to put the glasses in line and make sure that all the lines are level. Because even to this day, our kids will go, hang on, mine's a bit low. Why is that? And it's a little bit like that where these tribes are kind of all wanting to make sure that they get their fair share. But we're not going to kind of look through the detail because if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, in the back you will find a map that looks a little bit like this that will show you exactly what all of these details of boundaries and towns, what they look like and where they were. So you can visualize it as you're reading through these passages and kind of picture how this land was divided up. So what I want to do this morning is to kind of take an overview of these passages, to step back in this content and to focus on some of the really interesting things that come out in the midst of all of the allocation of the land that serve as really powerful lessons for us as a church, for for you as an individual, as we think about a new beginning and a new season. For us as a church, for as we begin a new year, things to be aware of and keep in mind from the experiences of the children of Israel that speak powerfully to us today. Three things. Firstly, the, 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 the account begins with a description of the land that was given to the tribes on the east of Jordan. Now, if you've, if you've done any kind of reading in the Old Testament, in the, in the first five books of the Bible, this situation was... Uh, entered into by the Gadites, the Reubenites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And they were on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they went to Moses, and because they were kind of herdsmen and they they had a lot of cattle, um, they went to Moses and said, look, this land on the east of Jordan is really good for cattle. Would you consider giving us this land? And Moses conceded to that. He agreed to that. And he said, on one condition, as long as you go with the rest of the tribes into the promised land and fight with them and fight alongside them so they too receive their inheritance. And once you've done that, then you are free to return back to your land. So chapter 13, it begins with the account of them now being given that land and being released to go back to their land. The lesson that comes out of that is I want to challenge us as a church and for you individually to be all in. Be all in. What I mean by that is even though this land was really good land, it doesn't seem to bother these two and a half tribes that technically it wasn't in the promised land. It wasn't part of the original boundaries that God had decreed for Israel as being their inheritance. It was on the edge of it. It was on the fringe of it. And they were happy to live on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of God's inheritance, because it suited them. Uh, last week, we, we went to movies at the boulevard, which we love doing, which is at Homebush in the Olympic site. And we'd set up you know, our blankets, and we, we managed to find this massive blanket at I think Aldi's or wherever it was. It's huge. And we'd set it all up, and we had some people come and join us. And you know, we, we invited them to come and sit, because their blanket was kind of tiny. It was like a tea towel. And they kind of set it up next to us. And, uh, and we, we said, look, just come and sit on the blanket. And, and one of them was sitting like right on the edge of our blanket. And we're like, just look, there's heaps of room. Just come right. And she said, no, 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 I'm happy here, I'm comfortable. And she was like right on the edge. And sometimes we live like that. We live our Christianity like that. You know, and, and the Bible tells us that God invites us to come right in 
to be all in, to not be half-half, to not be 50-50, to not have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, to pick and choose which commands of Jesus we're going to obey and to kind of go, you know what, close enough is good enough and and I'll I'll settle for the good and not pursue the best. This lesson is so profound. Because when we get to chapter 22 of Joshua, we already begin to see that this was going to not be good in the next generation. We already see this hint that there's going to be problems later down. And in 1 Chronicles 5, we're told that the fact that they were on the edge made them vulnerable to military attack, made them vulnerable to to ungodly pagan influence because they were living on the edge. And so often as Christians... So often, as people in a church, we, we, we get content to live on the edge. We're content. We're just coming to church every second week. We're, we're content for not really being a part of a connect group. We're content for taking the easy option, for just sitting in our seat and not really serving and not really being boots, in, boots and all in. And the lesson for us is there's a danger in that. There's a danger in living on the edges. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, you, you can't be half-half. It's either you're all in or you're not really in at all. And it's kind of like um, this image that I, I had of a, of a hose or a, a pipe that's not fully connected. You know, sometimes when you, the Nilex, you, you don't fully get it connected. You don't click it in and you open it and there's water just squirting everywhere. And eventually what happens is not only does the water not get to where it needs to go to do what it's meant to do, the pressure actually pulls the bits apart. And sometimes we live our Christian lives like that. We don't click in fully. We're only half there. And not only does it create personal frustration because we think this Christian thing doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's something wrong with it. Where's the joy and where's the peace and where's all this stuff I'm reading in the Bible? Maybe the problem is you're not fully clicked in. You're just on the edge. And Jesus invites you, come deeper, come closer. Be all in. And that's why in Luke chapter 9, he, he says this, you know, anyone who, who says, I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me, let me go and first bury my parents. And he says, you're not ready. Anyone who says, Jesus, I, I want to follow you, but, you know, uh, you know I, want, I want to do these other things. He says, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back, well, they're, they're not ready. They're not ready. So that's why Jesus says, count the cost because I ask for everything. And if you're not ready to take up your cross and die to yourself, you're just not ready. There's no half in when it comes to Jesus. And as a church, as we begin a new season, I want to be a church that's all in. All in. And that's why this year our theme is being remain because we're recognizing that unless we abide in the vine, unless we're totally clicked into Jesus, unless we are abiding in his word and in his love and in the spirit, we're going to be dead branches that the life doesn't flow to and the gardener's just going to come and go snip, snip, snip. And there's a warning there for us. The blanket is huge. Don't don't be content for living on the edge. God's got so much. And you know, it might not seem like it because for these Reubenites and the Gadites, that land over there looked so promising. And yet it was on the edge of what God intended. And we don't know what the next generation is going to experience. So let's not be people who hang back. Let's be all in. Let's be all or nothing people. And that's why in chapter 22, listen to what Joshua says to these tribes. He says, 
verse 5. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. Listen to this. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him, listen, with all your heart and with all your mind. See, Joshua had a prophetic inkling, I believe, that things were not going to go well when you live on the edge. Be all in. Be all in. Second lesson. Finish strong. Finish strong. In chapter 14, we're told that the first person that was allocated land was Caleb. And in chapter 19, we're told that the last person that was allocated land was Joshua. I think that's significant. And the significance is that these two guys were the only two out of all of the people that left Egypt that ever entered into the promised land to receive their inheritance. And I love the fact that in chapter 14, Caleb reminds Joshua of the promise. He says this, You know what the Lord said to Moses, verse 6, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But the others, their hearts melted with fear. Listen, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. This idea of Caleb following God wholeheartedly, all in, is repeated several times in this passage. Verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. You see, to be wholehearted, to endure wilderness, to go through hard times and still remain wholehearted, still remain faithful, still finish strong, it takes a captivating vision, a captivating vision of your inheritance, a captivating vision of the promises of God. And you need to hold on to the assurance that God will bring it about, even if it takes 45 years of wandering around in the wilderness. You've got to hold on to it. It's keeping your eyes on the prize, never losing focus on the promises of God and the faithfulness of God and the inheritance that God has for us as a church and for you individually. See, it doesn't matter how well you start. It's about how well you finish. How well you finish. Florence Chadwick, you might recognize the name, is a long-distance swimmer. And on the 4th of July, 1952, she attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, which I think is about 35 kilometers. And Florence wasn't a stranger to long-distance swimming. She'd swum the English Channel twice, like in both directions. And on this particular day, the water was freezing cold. Um, there's a, there was a fog that was over the water that reduced visibility so, so much that she couldn't even see the boats of her support crew. And there were a couple of times they had to use rifles to fend off some sharks that were trying to attack her. So pretty intense. And after swimming for 15 hours, Florence had had enough and she was ready to quit. And her trainers were trying to encourage her, saying, no, don't give up, don't quit. You're so close. You're so close. And she looked up and all she could see was fog. And she's like, no, I can't do this. And she quit 800 meters away from the finish. And when they interviewed her at the end, she says, look, I'm not making excuses. Yeah, it was tough. The water was freezing and and the sharks were a bit scary. But you know the thing that really put me off? It was the fog. I couldn't see the land. Two months later, I think it was, she attempted it again and she completed it in a record time because she could see the land. 
That's such a powerful principle. Such a powerful principle. And we see that throughout the Bible. And we see in Hebrews 11, this unpacked in the New Testament. It, it records the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. But then the chapter ends with all these guys who didn't achieve what they were looking for. They, 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 were, they suffered, they endured hardship and persecution and, and challenge and trial. And it says, but they did not receive the inheritance. But they remained faithful to the end. They never quit because their eyes were firmly fixed on the promises of God. And they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was good to his word. And they kept their eyes on their prize. You see, Jesus warns us, and I'm warning us as a church, that it's not about how well you start. The parable of the sower, remember that warning. Everyone started well. There was the seed went in, except for the first group that was snatched away, straight away by the enemy. Everybody else sprouted green things. They began to grow, but then they were choked. Or then they shriveled up and they dried. And Jesus warns us, make sure that you are going to finish well. Finish strong. Hold on to him. And that's why in Hebrews 12, uh, the writer moves on from talking about these heroes of faith to then talk about us and talk about the church. And he's encouraging them because you have this example. When you go through hardship, when you go through trials, when you go through difficulties, you have a cloud of witnesses. And he tells us what our prize is. He tells us that our inheritance is not land. It's not a material thing. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, as you endure hardship and suffering and persecution. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And remember his example, because he did the same thing. He looked ahead to the prize that he was suffering for, which was the redemption of all humanity, which is the salvation. And so it says he looked ahead to the joy of our redemption and salvation. And that's what helped him endure the cross. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, remind yourself of that so that you won't lose heart and you won't get discouraged because Jesus has made the way for you. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on to the promise. Never give up because it's about finishing strong. And I want to encourage you. Listen to what Caleb says in chapter 14 and verse uh, 10. So here I am today, 85 years old. Wow. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out and to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites, now if you don't know what that is, they're giants. The Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. I want to encourage you, young, but particularly our older people here. You're never too old to take on giants. You're never too old to take on a wall city. So please don't ever come to a point where in our church you think, you know what, I've retired, I'm done. It's all about the younger generation. It's all about the young people. Not at all. We still need you to take on giants. We still need you to take on wall cities. So I want you to finish strong. I want you to have a Caleb spirit that says, God, I'm 60, 70, 80, 100. I don't care how old you are, but God, I'm still as good today in you as I was back then, give me some giants to take on. Give me some wall cities. God, I'm ready. 
I'm ready to step out and see breakthrough in our church and in my life and in my family because I still want to take on giants. I want to finish strong. I want to hit that finish line at full speed. I'm not backing off, God. Which is why, you know, when I went to Africa a couple of years ago with Cesar and Lisa, it was amazing. I mean, these guys are older than me and they were I tell you, they were full on. Like they were out there doing stuff. They were on the go in these schools all day and they crashed at night. But man, they went hard. That's the spirit we want in our church. Where our older people aren't saying, oh, I, don't, I, I can't go on a mission trip. Or, well, that's for the younger people to do. I, I don't. No, come on. It's about finishing strong. And as we begin a new season, for you personally, for us as a church, let's commit ourselves to keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on the prize and finishing well, finishing strong. Last lesson. Let's get the center right. Let's get the center right. What do I mean by that? Well, as the account goes, we're told about in chapter 21, the towns and the the area that was set apart for the Levites. And throughout this passage, you know, particularly in chapter 13 and 14, we're told almost repetitively that the Levites did not receive an inheritance. It says that in chapter 13, in in verse 14, the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance. And in chapter 13, verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. Um, uh, Chapter 14, verse 3, uh, Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of Jordan, but had not granted the Levites any inheritance. Uh, Verse 4, the Levites received no share of the land. Verse 18, uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 7, the Levites, however, did not get a portion among you. Now, if you were a Levite, how do you think you'd be feeling right now? It's like serious? Like, do you have to rub that in? You know, like over and over again, you're, all right, we get it. We don't, we don't get to share. All right, we, we miss out. No, there is no sense of disappointment, of hurt, of being overlooked, of missing out, nothing. And I think the point and the lesson is that the Levites had understood it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God and His glory. And so what God decided to do is for the Levites to be His special possession. And if you want to understand this, you read Numbers chapter 3. And God instructs Moses to set aside this one tribe in proxy for all the firstborns that were rightfully His. And He says, rather than that, will set aside one tribe, the Levite, and they're going to be my special possession. They're going to be uniquely mine. And that's why whenever these occurrences are mentioned in Joshua about them not getting land, there's a reason given. And the reason given over and over again is that because God was their inheritance and the ministry and them serving was their inheritance. And the idea being that these people were meant to be scattered throughout the whole nation and be among the people and to help them know the law, to understand the law, and to live faithfully in obedience to the law. And so in effect, if you're using New Testament language or Jesus' words, they were to be salt and light in their community. And so they were spread throughout the nation and not given one particular block so that they could be people of influence in the whole nation. See, the Levites understood, it's not about me. And see, all these talk about inheritance as we're preaching to Joshua, we can fall into the trap of thinking, yeah, it's about me and it's about my inheritance and my blessing and all that God is doing for me and, and salvation is about Jesus saving me and rescuing me and, 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 and me having joy and peace. And, and that's true to a point. But the grace of God is given to you for the glory of God. You're not in the center of the purposes of God. 
of the salvation of God. And in so many churches, we, we, and even in our church, there's the risk that we get that wrong. And nothing else in all creation was ever designed to or able to put itself in the center of that. Whatever you put into that place will destroy you and it will destroy itself. Only God is able to sit in the center of that. And so we need to get the center right. As a church, we need to get it right. Individually, we need to get it right. Nothing else can hold the glory of being in the center. And so the Levites, they they were sent out and they were commanded to, to be witnesses. And again, we need to understand that in the New Testament, this is repeated. Ephesians chapter 1 is probably one of the most profound passages about the spiritual inheritance of the people of God. Paul writes over and over again of the blessings that we have in Christ. In fact, he begins this chapter by saying that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he talks about forgiveness and adoption and redemption and the Holy Spirit and all these things things that God has done for us in Christ. Now, when you read that, you can go, yeah, it is all about me. I am at the center of God's purposes. And God did everything, moved heaven and earth because it was about me. But then as Paul goes, he begins to kind of introduce other ideas that he then carries forward. And so in chapter 1, verse 18, he, he has this little teaser where he says, you know what, actually, It's not so much of the spiritual inheritance we have. Actually, when we think about it, we we are God's inheritance. We belong to Him. We are His people. And then when it gets to chapter 3, he kind of unpacks it even more. And he says, God's purpose in the church was not just to keep blessing us and delighting us and making us feel good. It was actually to display His manifold wisdom and glory. That's the center. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of everything. That's God's purpose. I love this quote from a guy called David Platt. I've been reading his book called Radical. And if you want to be confronted and challenged about what it means to really follow Jesus, read the book. If you don't, don't read it. He says this, The message of biblical Christianity is not God loves me, period, or full stop, as if we were the objects of our own faith. The message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him, his ways, his salvation, his glory, and his greatness known among all nations. That's it. That's the center. And that's not new. Because that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, before the children of Israel ever stepped in the land. And God says to Abraham, I will bless you. I will bless you with land. I will bless you with an inheritance. I will bless you with progeny. Why? So that you can be a blessing to all nations. That's the point. That's the center. That's what this is all about. God gives us his grace so that we might bring him glory. And so when the Levites are dispersed and they missed out and they didn't get an inheritance, they had no issues because they understood the calling and the purpose of God for them. And 1 Peter 2 says that we have the same calling. Same calling to be priests that have been called out of darkness to make his praises known. And we're supposed to live what? Among, among the scattered, not gathering in little church communities, enjoying the blessing of God for ourselves, but we're supposed to live among the pagans and to live such godly lives that they will glorify God. That's the center. And as a church, Let's not lose sight of that. As individual followers of Jesus, let's not lose sight of that. Let's not make it about me. And you know, let me, let me be 
frank with you. We've been talking a lot about a building. And I am totally committed to that vision. I believe it's the next step for us. It's the next season for us. God's promised it for us to be here and to serve our city. But that's not the center. That is not the end. It's just the means to the end of glorifying Christ in our city. That's why we're believing for it. That's why we're working towards it. That's why we're going to fight for it. That's why we're going to save for it and give towards it sacrificially. We're going to work towards that vision, not because we're pursuing that, but because we're pursuing the glory of Christ in Parramatta. Let's not lose sight of that. And so I want to call us as a church to commit ourselves at the very beginning of this year, at the very beginning of this season, the next 40 years, 140 years, whatever it is, but we're in a defining moment in our church's history. And I want us to start well. I want us to be people who don't hang by the edges, but come all in to the full inheritance that God has for us. If you've been kind of part of PCC for a while and you still feel like you're on the edges, I invite you, don't stay there. Come in. There's plenty of room on the blanket. Don't be content for just being on the edge. God's got more. And he invites you to come in because there's danger on the edge. And I want us as a church and I want each of us individually to really pray and focus on finishing strong. We might have started off well or we might have started off terribly, but the story hasn't ended yet. Finish strong. Whether that means spiritually, whether that means in your age, you're a seasoned saint, a veteran, whatever, finish strong. Stay committed to Christ wholeheartedly like like Caleb and Joshua. Be giant killers and, and city breakers downers right to your end. And be people who never lose sight of the center, that pursue above all the glory of God and to never lose sight of that truth, that it's not about us. Yes, God saves us. Yes, God loves us. Yes, God blesses us. Yes, God longs to be in relationship with us. Yes, God wants to give us his grace. And all of those things are true, but it's only one half of the truth. The other is for his glory, that he might be praised and he might be glorified. And so let's believe and pray that God will bless our church, that God will give us a new building, that God will give us an inheritance and will fulfill the promises he's made that we are to be a city on a hill and to serve our city. Let's believe and pray for that so that so that he might be made known and his glory will be seen. Final word for those of you who maybe aren't Christians yet, who are not followers of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you are new to our church. You could have been sitting here for a long time. But in chapter 20, there's a description of the cities of refuge. And there are, there's powerful symbolism between the cities of refuge and Christ our refuge. In Hebrews 6, the writer of the Hebrews says that we flee to our refuge, Jesus Christ. And the cities of refuge were places that were set aside for someone who committed manslaughter. And they were supposed to run to these cities of refuge before the avenger of blood, who is a family member, caught up to them and killed them, which they had every right to do. They were supposed to go to these cities of refuge and the elders were supposed to let them in, give them refuge and safety until their case could be brought before the elders to determine if it was premeditated or accidental. And if they were pronounced innocent, that it was accidental, they could stay there until the, the serving high priest died and then they could return back to their land without any fear. The difference is in Christ, the New Testament says that we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, the whole chapter, in fact, of Romans 3 tells us that we all stand guilty and condemned already. There's no hearing to determine that. 
that there's no trial in, as far as God is concerned. Our rebellion and our, our disobedience makes us all guilty and condemned already. But God in his great love has made a way. The, the true refuge, the ultimate refuge, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you're sensing the avenger of blood, that, that, that you're not right with God and that he's kind of after you. But you don't need to fear because of Christ. You can come into that refuge and you can find in him, in his finished work, in his death and resurrection on the cross, as we heard beautifully at communion, safety and refuge. And you know the really cool thing? is that you don't need to leave to go back home because your refuge is your home. Your refuge is your high priest. Your refuge is your safe place. Your refuge is your inheritance. So you don't need to go anywhere when you find yourself in Christ, when you find forgiveness and grace and refuge in Christ. You're home. You're home. And so I invite you, if, you're not, if you've not yet confessed your guilt, and repented of your sin, which means turned away from it and put your trust and faith in Jesus, you can today. Before you leave here, we, we, we'd love to pray with you, talk with you, share with you, and help you find refuge in Christ today. Why don't you take a moment to bow your heads and just reflect on what God might be saying to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. stand together and as we bring this service to a close I invite you if you'd like prayer this morning we'd love to pray with you please come and let us pray with you if you'd like to find out more about Jesus we'd love to talk with you and once we dismiss the service we'd love for you to stick around and have coffee I know it's probably really hot out there but don't let that stop you from entering in fully into relationship and community and getting to know people and being all in but let's sing just this declaration that he's good that he's good. And then I'll pray and then we'll go. Thank you, Jesus.